You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast with your hosts Adam Keith and Matt Dye. We're all about turkeys today. Just wrapped up turkey season, but it's bringing in some interesting talks and discussions on how we can make sure we get to enjoy turkey seasons for years to come. So we're going to cover everything from habitat, uh, things you can do, um, and also things to plant for turkeys. Matt's going to join us and we're going to dive right in. Well, let's get started talking about our turkey season itself. We've had a, an excellent season here in Missouri, and we got a couple other stories to share about our successful hunts and how we wrapped up the season. Adam, why don't you fill them in on that? Well, first off, I'll say the highlight or the, the thing we'll remember in years to come, and we will say we tagged out you, myself, my brother, Shermer, who's filming for us, we all tagged out, so that's the highlight. But the problem with that is it didn't come very easily. And in fact, We worked for it. Yes, well, very much. We worked hard for it. And actually, at the end of the season, I was still sitting there. Of course, I carried the bird out, and I still kind of sitting there scratching my head going, what What in the world is going on? What? What's happened and uh, we think we know some of the reasons. And, and what, do you, what do you mean, like, what, what happened? Um, as far as what happened is, you know, there's certain certain places, I think everybody that's ever turkey hunted on, on a piece of ground year in and year out, there there's places where the turkeys are always at. And my family farm, there's several places. It's It's been jammed up for years with turkeys. And this year, it kind of scratched my head going, well, where are they at? What, what in the world's going on? And uh, what what have we done differently? And there's a few things. We'll dive into that a little bit later. But um, at the family farm and the lease, right there, home base, there just wasn't that many turkeys gobbling. Um, and that was throughout the entire season because normally... You, normally, you know, first week you hear a bunch of birds, but they fly down, they're hinned up, and you, you end up getting on one and killing a couple the first week, not yourself, but between you, between myself, my dad, my brother, friends. You usually kill a couple the first week. Second week's usually difficult. Um, they're really hinned up and, and it, for some reason, the weather's always a little difficult second week, but third week is always just, okay, now the sun's come out 
turkeys are gobbling their brains out, and it's time to fill some tags. But this year, even third week was terrible, 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 terrible. terrible. <laughs> and so uh, I don't know, you know, but the thing about it is even on neighboring properties where it's just like we don't hunt there, you just you hear them gobbling. It's just like I don't think they hunt, and every day you hear them gobbling up there, and you're just like, okay. They weren't even gobbling on the neighboring farms where people aren't hunting. So, um, And I, after talking to a bunch of people that hunt the same county, same area I do, they were all complaining of the same thing. But, you know, what's funny about that is you sit there and you're like, where are the turkeys? They're, they're not in the fields. I mean, we're seeing a few hens. There's just not much going on. And then, what is this? Uh, season ended. Last Sunday. Sunday. So like five and days. on three, day, three days later... Three four days four, later, yeah, you, yeah. you and I are out and uh, planting food plots on your place. Food plots. This was three days. Yeah. Yesterday, Wednesday, and uh, there's a lone tom out there in the middle field all by himself, and you're kind of going, "Where have you been all my life?" Mm-hmm. And uh, so they're definitely there. It was just a strange season. Thankfully, we we had another property we could hunt, and they were they were up there. And that, that's about an hour north. An hour so not, north. Not the exact and same. Kind of different habitat. Yeah, quite a this bit different. This is a working cattle farm. There's alfalfa and cornfields and ditch lines, woodlots, and yeah, a lot of a lot of great things. And um, anyway, there were turkeys all over it, and we were able to tag out. The last day we had something a little bit interesting. <laughs> kind of unique situation. You know, uh, they always say roosted ain't roasted, and the night before we still like to roost them. I like to know which what limb they're sitting on. Usually you don't. You just kind of have a general area. And in, and for some reason, our area, you hear a bird gobble on the limb night before, you got a pretty good feeling he's going to gobble the next morning. Um, but they don't gobble a whole lot. Like They don't gobble like they do in Kansas, um, In the, I guess, on the roost the night before. You know, go out there, and it, it seems like they all gobble, and they actually gobble pretty good in the afternoons. But in Missouri, it's just... Especially southern Missouri where we're at, you don't hear a lot in the afternoons roosting. It's got to be the right bird. He's, he's got to be hot. Yeah, You'll hear it, but it's not. And usually when he's same. gobbling uh, on the limb the night before, it doesn't have hens with him. And he's just like yes. trying to attract him before he goes to sleep. But yep. um, luckily, we went down, popped up in the little field where we had been seeing him. And 100 yards out, there's three toms. Three toms we've had. Oh man! Multiple run-ins with multiple run-ins it, it, with. If you've been following along, that these are the same three birds, same property that I uh, I was carrying my granddad's gun with, and it misfired opening day, and then a couple of days after that, it misfired, and these same Twice. three birds. So there's three three times. Yes, they dodged death three times in the first week. Um, so we're back on that property, and again, Adam and his brother Chad went up, popped their head up. The the night before the last day, boom, there they are right in the back corner of the field where we kind of suspect them to be, or, or at least roosted close, and um, they've got eyes on them. And they don't gobble that evening, correct? No, they did not gobble. But you saw them But fly. I saw the exact trees they flew into. And, I mean, if they're not going to gobble, what can be better to know? To visibly see exactly, exactly what, what tree. they're on. Right. And, and it's funny because... Where they flew up at, you and I had talked about it because of the, the two prior hunts we had with these birds in that same area. It's like, if if one day we can roost these birds and they're around the edge of the field, we're going to get here. There's there's um basically a big old brush pile where does are decked that they pushed up, the farmer pushed up out of the field. And it's right in the back corner of this field where birds have been 
just frequenting. And lo and behold, those birds flew up maybe 80 yards away from the uh, the dozer deck. And so that next morning, the last day of the season, we had our chance to be where we said we wanted to be the whole season and had birds roosted right above us. <laughs> maybe 100 yards. Maybe. And, and, you know, we've talked about it before. We don't like to be roost or set up that close. But knowing where they're going to fly down, most likely, and knowing how they had behaved all season long of just skirting the edge, we're like, all right, we're going to go close. We're going to get in tight. And it's uh, kind of last day chance. You just yeah. cash mm-hmm. in your chips. You're all in, baby. All in. This can be disastrous. <laughs> or it or can we work can, out. W- yes. And so we set up maybe 100 yards. Put the decoys out. In the s- middle of the night. Yes. I say middle of the night. It was it like... Was, I don't know. It was, it was pitch early. black when pitch we got them out. Black. Um, and so we're sitting there, just sitting there and sitting there waiting on the sun to come up or waiting on the first gobble. And finally he gobbled and was like, oh, that, okay, yep, he's close. He's right there. And kind of weird. Three birds roosted together, but only two of them, or one of them gobbled. Yep. And I could see the other one kind of through the trees strutting, but he wasn't gobbling. There was another bird, of course, as, I, as I've talked before, third week, Especially the last weekend has always been my favorite, and because I like the little bit of the pressure on, and the birds seem to cooperate a little bit. They they seem to cooperate a lot better. Yeah, it's like a lot of hens are kind of just doing their own thing now. They're not going after the toms, and and uh, so the toms are a little more vocal and a little more willing to work. And so there was a couple toms hammering that morning yeah. in places where we hadn't heard him gobble all year, and so it was like okay, well if. By chance, this doesn't work out. Let's just go ahead and go after that bird. Yeah. And because they were gobbling really good. But we only had two tags. Yep. Zach Shermer was tagged out. Chad was tagged out. And so you and I, with shotguns on point, expecting three toms to land pretty quickly. Pitch at, down. Uh, pretty similar times. Yep. And go, okay, they're going to fly down. They're going to strut up to the decoys. And we're going to say, one, two, three, shoot. Bang, bang. And you draw it up great. But, man, it doesn't usually work that way no and so it, i was a little concerned only one tom's goblin and he flies down and almost immediately doesn't like something he he hits the ground as soon as his landing gear goes his head just boom straight up looking around and, and i don't know if that was a combination of he hit the ground and then he could see four globs sitting at the front of this in grass yeah we could or he saw the decoys and was like whoa I haven't seen or heard from her yet. What are they doing here? And so they he threw his head up, and I, I will now start the excuse roll. <laughs> yeah, here we go. Um, so I was using a 20-gauge. and uh, which I was usually, too. This I is the 20-gauge that uh, – don't let's not even go down the road of your success so far this year with your <laughs> misfires. But anyway, so I was using a 20-gauge I killed my first turkey with um, ever way back when. Haven't used it in years. Um, it's always been a great shooting gun, but I got my shells from Matt and I'm pretty sure he made them into paper blanks. Yep. Sure did. And, uh, so anyway, bird lands and we had a little bit of miscommunication and I said, kidding, like kind of, I guess, talking to both myself and Matt. And unfortunately I didn't realize he was sitting a little bit more towards my right. And so it was kind of shooting, would be shooting a little bit over my lap. I yeah, guess. I, w- I was not, not quite over my lap, but kind of just in a direction that he wasn't comfortable with. I wasn't aware of it, 
And so I say that, and I'm kind of like seeing this bird start fast-stepping it out, and I'm kind of leaning left to shoot, and uh, or leaning to my left, and Matt's not shooting, and so I just throw the gun up real quick. Boom, first shot, nothing. I'm like, what? I think I heard the bird laughing, like, nice try, try again. And so next shot, poo! And the whole time I'm like, shoot it! And so I'm shooting and yelling, shoot it, and uh, I'm trying to scoot I missed twice. in a safe direction outside so my barrel's plenty clean of Adam. Take a few scoots, and you shot twice. I shot twice. You shoot the third time. Yeah. Still nothing. And I- <laughs> the third, and then I shoot my last shot. Of course, I usually, even on duck hunting, it's poom, 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 and I'll stand there going, I wish I had more shells, or I wish I hadn't shot so fast. And <laughs> then Matt shoots a... Okay, and he crosses a fence, not a bordering fence, but he crosses a... a I was... He, basically, he was running dead straight away from me, running, fast-stepping, got on the other side of the fence. I was like, okay, beads on it, boom! And he I, falls over, and you see the kind of the wings fly up over top of his head and kind of rolled over, and man, uh, that was quite, that was quite the little shootout there. Um, yeah. It, you it, went, it you went over so to fast. get him, and I sat there scratching my head going, what just What in the world? Uh, and I, I don't know. First shot, he's probably 35, 30-ish, right. somewhere in there. And then last, second shot, he's probably 40. Last shot, he's probably 45. All well within effective range. But it, yeah, absolutely. I don't know what in the world happened, but it's going to be funny to sit back one day and watch that video and go, wow. I don't – like, I'm pretty sure I was shooting high, and – uh Shooting high, shooting over top of him. Not sure where Matt's first shot went. Second shot was money. So it just, we it, got that. You know what? <laughs> and and I, we laughed at. It. We're like, "What did we just do?" As many turkeys as we've killed, and but like the thing is, you you can't know that the bird's going to do that. So it's just kind of real quick reaction. Okay, I can't shoot. You start shooting. Situation. Uh, it just panned out the way it panned out, and there's there's no excuses. No excuses. Everyone's missed, and that was just a unique situation. And mm-hmm. Zach put it really well. He goes, well, boys, that's hunting. And yeah. it, it is. We, we've all missed, and it, it's going to happen again. Um, but the bird pitched down in range. Shots were fired. It was killed, and a tag was filled the last day. But... That's not the end of the story. That's not the end of the story. So as we're shooting some kind of final interviews and pictures of your bird, and uh, my brother was actually along for the hunt, and as we're doing that, it was like I asked him, I said, okay, go get the big gun out. Go get me my 12-gauge. And so he takes the – I'm actually out of shells at well, that point. I had – you one had more some shell. shell. You had one more shell. I had one more like, shell I could have donated really to your, to confi- your fund. My confidence in that is gone. So I said, would you, while we're doing these interviews, go grab the 12? So he swaps guns for me, comes back down. I grab my uh, 12-gauge shells, load that gun up more after the other bird. Haven't heard him in a while, but we know what direction he's headed. And, and it's actually a short, grazed pasture that we're kind of, at this point in the game, a lot of the fields have started to grow up. And... Uh, it, it was really high dew morning. There was a lot of a dew. Lot and we we were dew. very confident they were going to be in that short pasture. And as we walk up there and pop our heads over the hill, we see him out there. A couple of hens, a couple of jakes, and him. Okay, let's make a move. And, you know, we talk about, let's go back, I don't know how many podcasts, we talked about the 
I think it was four or five different types of turkey hunters. There's the, uh, the we talked about the old timer. Yep. Kills them with patience. We talked about the go getter. We talked about the camper, and we talked about the performer. And we've always we kind of t- have talked all season that we kind of think we're a combination of all because we'll do about any of those. Every situation other than camping. Lends we don't really like camping. <laughs> I'm not a big camper. And uh, uh, I'd rather go fishing than camp in a blind and, and <laughs> wait on them for hours and hours and hours. Um, but anyway, we decided it's the last day. We're trying we're trying to get them killed so we can get to church because it is Sunday, um, the last day. And we are boogieing. And so it's time to hand in the performer hat and trade it for the go-getter hat. And we start going after it. And we end up crawling within, I don't know, 200 yards. And at that point, it's like, okay, we're too loud. Matt, Chad, you hold back. Now it's Shermer and I, and we're crawling. We get to within 100 yards. We're going up a little creek bank, pretty steep, and it's filled with water. Remember, we've had all these these floods, basically. How much water, you ask? (laughs) It's over boot deep. Enough to fill the boots. (laughs) (laughs) And so... We're like, all right, we got to have to belly crawl. So we get within 100 yards. The turkey's pretty much in plain sight. I said, Shermer, why don't you just sit right here and start filming? So he sits down and starts filming, and I start crawling a little further and a little further, and I realize I can't use the the brush anymore because of the angle the turkey can see right down where I'm crawling. I'm going to have to get on the steep bank and try and side slope it, I guess, into range. As I'm doing that, I actually slide down in the mud and, find myself in the knee deep in the creek or in the i guess ditch filled with water so boots are officially filled up i climb out take the boots off and now i'm shoeless joe jackson crawling after a turkey (laughs) so i end up crawling up and keep crawling crawling and i actually look back when i'm well within range probably 45 yards from this turkey and i look back and Shermer gives me the thumbs up he pans the camera back over and films a turkey, and I crawl within a few more feet and stand up and take the shot. And boom! And actually, Chad and I could see it. We di- we didn't know, you know, your communication with Zach, but we're actually watching the the Jakes and the Gobbler in full strut, and we see him take a few side steps. I guess when quick when, steps, quick steps when you were standing up and getting the finding a hole, shouldering the, the shotgun. Yeah, and. Poof, when he falls right over that was cool that was cool sight yeah it was uh you know it was an adrenaline rush no doubt it was fun for sure to to i guess do the go-getter i've done that on several turkeys on the last day before and that was one of the that one was very enjoyable it was a lot more of a challenge with the having to go through the creek and anyway needless to say that bird had two hens and two jakes with him and he had one spur was inch and Inch and five eighths. The other one is inch and nine sixteenths. He was an absolute limb hanger. And, great, uh, great bird. Whenever we, sh- we looked at those birds, we were like, "Oh, that's why he stopped gobbling. He got old for a reason." And that's why we haven't heard him gobbling over in that area all season. I'm sure he's had a, a heck of a lot of hens with him um, all season long, and he finally, he finally, probably didn't roost with them the night before. And that's and why he was gobbled hard. Exactly. And that gave morning. away his location. So and that was all. All it took. Yep. And uh, we were officially tagged out by, I don't even remember what time About eight, it was. About 8.15, something like that. And uh, so, yeah, it was a awesome final day. 
Um, we did something very similar last year. We did actually, actually on the family farm, and you killed one early, and and I actually shot at the other bird that was yep. with him um, as he was trying to get over the hill, and uh, and then turned around and went and crawled into one. Last year was a little bit different because uh, I wasn't targeting the bird I actually shot. I was targeting a couple others that were actually gobbling. Just they on were the edge gobbling, of the field. and as we got right into the field, there was a tom right out in front of us, and. Um, we were able to take him and he was another giant bird. So, uh, yeah, last day has been good to us. Been very good. I, I like the tradition. I, I, I'm, I'm quite okay with doubling on the last day to, to tag out in Missouri. I would be more okay to tag out early in the third week or late in the second week. That way there's no pressure. Oh man, we got to make it happen. Today's I like, the last I like day. The grind. I'd like somebody else to tag out on the final day. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I like the tradition. Uh, anyway, so that was pretty much the end of that was the end of turkey season for us. Uh, kind of too busy to we we would love to go chase them in some other states, but I'm not sure that's going to happen this year. We're already looking at another trip tomorrow for work in Iowa and and um, busy cracking down for the next couple of weeks. So yeah, unfortunately, we're not going elsewhere. Finishing up food but, plots, and we've got yes. Oh, we've got the logging crew. The logging operation is getting ready to start on the home base, so we're probably going to be tied tied close. And uh, anyway, so you know that leads into our next, I guess, our next segment. And I, I think anybody who's ever chased turkeys apps probably falls in love with it. I would it's say it's hard not to. It's hard not to fall in love if you're out on a good morning turkeys gobbling. You actually yep. work a bird and. You can feel the excitement and the thunder in your chest as he's closing in and gobbling, and you can get him spitting and drumming close. That's just one of the quickest ways to get somebody hooked to the outdoors. And uh, leading into that, you know, just talking about the wild turkey, there hasn't always, and I hear these stories from guys my dad's age that were like, oh, there didn't used to be that many turkeys. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a new thing for dad. Even back east in, in my family, there was, my dad chased turkeys, one, because there absolutely was not deer in the, that portion of Virginia. And then the turkeys, that's all there was, and there wasn't that many of them. But as he got older, he saw change, just like you're talking about with your dad, and turkey numbers exploding. Yeah, I'll, I'll share a quick story. The first time my dad ever heard a turkey goblin on the family farm, um, <laughs> I laugh thinking about this. This is just my dad here. First time he ever heard a bird goblin on the family farm, there was a season at that point. It was one of the first couple of seasons, I think, that Missouri ever had. And... He could hear he could hear him gobbling before the season, so he gets a shotgun somehow. I think my grandma borrowed a shotgun because of the shotgun that they had. At that point, the firing pin didn't work anymore, and they weren't mm-hmm. going to get it huh, replaced because they didn't, feels like. didn't need it. So Dad got a shotgun, and, of course, at this point, he's deer hunted. And so he's going out, whatever, opening week, could have been opening day, whatever it was. He goes out to chase his turkey, this one turkey, just one Single turkey bird. goblin. And he's like, he didn't know any different, so he climbs up in a tree in blue jeans and his plaid shirt, and he's like, okay, I guess I'll... I like, got this. He's trying to actually this. deer hunt a turkey. <laughs> and so he's in a tree, and of course he can hear this bird gobbling. He's getting closer, and he's getting closer, and then he hears this... He didn't know what the sound meant at that point. He just knew the turkey was no longer gobbling. He was making this other sound. Never heard the bird again. Years later, now he knows how to hunt him. Yeah, you know, sometimes. And, uh, <laughs> you live to learn. I, I had to take a jab at him. But uh, years later, he's he knows how to hunt turkeys. But that's how that's how he learned. Okay, you know, that didn't work. Don't climb in a tree. tree and don't wear blue jeans and a yeah. shirt. And so I laugh. And, and it, 
you know, there wasn't that many turkeys back in those days. Now there's tons of turkeys. There, there's a, a healthy population. A lot We're of us to chase the, the turkeys abs- that we you know. We do. It's just it's amazing to to sit back and look at the conservation success story of the wild turkey. Absolutely. And you know, it's all part of organizations like National Wild Turkey Federation, even state agencies like Missouri Department of Conservation, who seeing this rapid decline. Turn turn the tables and said, okay, we got to do something before there are no more turkeys. And through working hand-in-hand, hand, finding the popu- healthy populations and then transplanting those. Restocking that. Restocking yeah. those from the healthy populations to other areas. And then, most importantly, doing habitat restoration and trying to save the habitat. I think NWTF's. I, I think their slogan is save the habitat, save the hunt, which yep, I love that phrase. Oh, it's, it's beautiful. Uh, it's, it's spot on. Yep. And it's a big part of what we do is trying to improve the habitat uh, for all wildlife. And, of course, National Wild Turkey Federation has taken the initiative to save the habitat of the wild turkey so we can enjoy seasons for years to come, not just us, but our kids and our grandkids. So I would encourage anybody to support the yeah, National absolutely. Wild Turkey Federation, absolutely. any organization that has that mindset of of passing on the torch for future generations so leading into that let's start talking about turkey habitat Ooh, all right this is something that a lot of people i mean everybody loves turkey hunt but i think a when lot it comes people, to habitat a lot of people are more concerned okay let's i'm doing habitat work for the deer I but let's talk about some yeah, stuff for turkeys a lot of people may take it for granted like what turkeys truly need and and because we've been so blessed with the restocking efforts and the success of that and the success of people who have come before us there's not that many initiatives to take to really fine-tune a property for wild turkey management. And there's a lot of things that can be done um, to really increase numbers and increase the success of hunting and, and springtime management um, for turkeys. You know, it's there, there are species that really is solely dependent upon nesting success. And when it comes to that, for example... You know, northern Missouri, southern Iowa, they've always talked about they've had great populations, and they still do, but there was a couple of years where we got hit with flooding. Mm-hmm. Lots and lots and lots of flooding up there, and it just, the population plummeted. A lot of that was due because nests were flooded or hens were predated on and while they were on the nest. And so that's just an example of the importance of getting nests and, and and having the habitat for nesting successful hens nests. so where they can have successful nests and therefore successful poults and lead right into a healthy population. So go ahead, Matt. First off, I, I want to kind of just really cover what a predator to turkey poults and turkey nests are because there's you get a lot of different varying opinions. Okay, well, oh, that that's a, that's a turkey nest killer or, you know, what really is the cause? Who is the cause? Who them chicken hawks? They get all them poults. <laughs> I have no idea what you just said. <laughs> that was my best o- Ozark hillbilly um, theology on what happens to the turkeys. Can you just say it again, please? Oh, them chicken hawks, they get all them turkey poached. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, so, like, let's avoid that again, please. Um, <laughs> predators of turkey poults, foxes, skunks, bobcats, coons, possums, coyotes, Crows, hogs, domestic dogs, and snakes. And then you get into more avian. Like after they've hatched, avian predators, hawks and owls are huge, huge 
predators of turkey poults. Once they've hatched, they're they're up and feeding. And uh, you know, I don't, I don't. The, the reason I bring that up is because a lot of things get bad raps. Um, and you recently read an article about snakes and their predation on, on turkey nest predators, nests, yes. ground nesting birds, mm-hmm. and that was a pretty. You shared some numbers or whatever, but that, yeah, that was pretty it was substantial. You know, the numbers went to quail nests, but um, the numbers as far as snakes in in that research, snakes were the number one nest predator to ground nesting birds, turkeys, quail, pheasants, and and specifically that was talking about um, talking about turkey nests. And actually, the picture they shared was a big, huge. I think it was a black snake that black had rat snake, yeah, like that. and uh, it had like thirteen turkey eggs in its belly. Oh my! And so, yeah, it looked that's a healthy rather breakfast. misformed, right? And uh, so, yeah, I think that's one that a lot of people, a lot of people, overlook a little overlook as um, snakes. But one that you said that I think some people may have went, what? Like, did he just say a crow? Oh yeah, and. You know, a lot of times when you're looking at a nest, you know, as much time as we spend in the woods, we come across. Actually, I came across two today. Mm-hmm. And you come across these these nests, and you're like, well, something's got in here. What what happened? And, you know, you can kind of understand what probably predated on those eggs. Based on the distribution of the eggs, how they're cracked open, if they're spread open or, you know. Chewed up. Or they're right, just, exactly. A lot of times that's eggs. coons and right. uh, raccoons and possums and uh, even foxes or coyotes. But And then you look at the, the when a crow eats a turkey egg, it's kind of more pecked out. It's like out. a puncture. Yes. And a hole in the egg. But they're not completely necessarily cracked open or thrown everywhere like a coon would get to it. Yeah, and and I th- uh, we didn't plan on talking about that, but you know what? Whatever. But we don't plan on ed- talking about a lot of things. We just go. <laughs> we ahead. just go ahead with it. But deductive reasoning, reasoning and evidence kind of tells you, okay, this was a crow that got into turkey nests, and they're very. Well, you look at a crow's eyes and how good they can see. You know, they're they're gonna find nests throughout the habitat, mm-hmm. especially when a hen when it's a white up. egg sitting in yeah. green grass or a cluster of white eggs. Um. You know, I think it's one of those things that just being aware. Now, we are not in no way encouraging people to go out and shoot all these things that are predating on. But, you know, if it's legal in your area to trap uh, raccoons, possums, coyotes, foxes, whatever it is during the fur bear season, or even you can trap some states, uh, coyotes are considered garments, and you can trap during the nesting, which is the absolute most successful way to remove coyotes. Absolutely, And so... We are encouraging you to be aware if the population is out of control, there's not really anybody else doing it in your area. That's one way you can really help the turkeys out is trying to get the balance back to where there's not as this huge, I guess, explosion of Healthy predators. Healthy balance of predators um, in regards to the amount of prey that's there. And unlike, I mean, we're not encouraging you. I think you meet some people that are just absolutely... They're mad. I, at them. I I don't like cedars, but I know there is absolutely no way we're ever going to be able to wipe cedars off the face of the earth, and I don't plan on that. Same thing with coyotes. I don't really like coyotes, but I'm not saying go out and kill every single right, one of right, them. Right, right, right. There's just got to be a healthy balance. Healthy balance between it all. Exactly. And uh, you know, I, the reason we say and and bring up the predator numbers because there's a couple stats um, that the studies are really indicating that only ten to forty percent of nests successfully hatch. 
And so these are stats that National Wild Turkey Federation have produced, have produced. and and or or gotten from solid, credible research. And so that ten percent of nests in, in some areas, in some study areas, ten percent of nests hatched successfully. And then the threat's not over. So if you've got predators of really high population, you haven't done trapping, you could you might be experiencing nest success that only ten percent are are really hatching. Mm. That's detrimental to a population. That's you, not it's very, very good tough numbers. for That's it like to grow. our dad's uh, shooting average for turkeys. Oh, don't even ten percent of that. the time. <laughs> yeah, ten <laughs> percent results in a successful kill. <laughs> oh boy. We can say that because I'm per- fairly confident that if we said, "Have you listened to our podcast?" They're going to say. I don't even know how to listen. No. What, oh, yeah. what is it? What I is have, a pod? I have no worry. I what can... is this podcaster thing you're talking yeah. about? How I go in there and figure that thing out there. So that's why we say that. But So, yeah, 10% of the time in certain areas. Now you understand how. And, and if you get two seasons, you know, a turkey doesn't live that long. Four years is a pretty good lifespan for a turkey. Yeah. And so if you have two years of, of less than 10% or 10% success, that's how a population can go whoop. And turn around Upside. really quickly. Real quick. So that's why it's important every single year to be aware of the population, what you can do to improve it, and uh, just ensure that you're going to have future turkey seasons. So we got 10 to 40% of nests successfully hatching. Again, the threat doesn't stop there because now you have broods. And the success of, basically it says, 25% of hatching poults make it beyond four weeks. So let's say they were lucky enough to get hatched. Now those poults, individual poults, only have a 25% chance of making it past four weeks of life. I'm glad I'm, a, I'm not a wild turkey. I'm glad my mama was a nurturing mother <laughs> and kept yeah. me safe. But holy cow, you come into the world and everything wants to eat you. Everything wants – and unless you have the right habitat in place can successfully do it. 25% don't make it. 25% make it. Excuse me. 25%, 25% make, make it, it to 75% four weeks. 75% don't make it to four Ugh. weeks old. Chilling. That's, that's horrible numbers. But if you improve the habitat, you can you can be at the high end of that. Yes. These are just averages. Yep. And so in areas where the population is really good and you have really great habitat, you can be way better than that. But on average, this is what we're talking about. So... I'm going to throw out Let's a couple just, more okay, stats go ahead. real quick about turkey poults and hens and, and how they're laying the eggs. And then let's let's just dive into the, the habitat improvements that we're talking about and what basically these poults need and what a successful nesting cover would be um, so that people can get that on their property if they're not experiencing good turkey numbers. So a couple other stats that I thought were really, really um, interesting. So when a hen is bred... The next two weeks, she spends building the nest and laying eggs in that nest. And she typically lays one egg a day. So through that entire time, she's not sitting on that nest, but she's doing her thing. She's going and dropping an egg on the nest, leaving it alone, until she's laid all the eggs that she's going to make for that year. After that... The next 28 days, she hardly gets off the nest. And there, at that point, she's incubating them. So in a day-to-day, 28 days, she's on the nest. She'll get up every hour or two hours or so. And she actually rearranges 
those eggs within the nest to basically heat up these eggs and then move them and then heat up these eggs and move them. And so basically they're incubated evenly throughout the entire 28 days. But, you know, midday she might get up and, and go bug in a field real quick and come back, jump on the nest. But 28 days she is incubating those eggs. And a normal clutch size or the number of eggs in a turkey nest is about 5 to 15 eggs. And so after the 28 days, those poults are hatched and they begin right away, day one, trying to mimic their mother. She's imprinting well, they better, on them. They have a 25% chance of survival. <laughs> they better know what when mama says run or hide. They, they run or they hide. And mama yeah. says jump, they say how high. Absolutely. <laughs> they don't have a choice. So they're learning to mimic and, and understanding what her calls mean. She's giving soft clucks and then... By day two, this is this is amazing to me. By day two, they're already performing and and doing feeding characteristics and movements and grooming themselves in the same way that she is. So, imprinting and learning for a poult, they're precocial eggs, a bird, excuse me, they're precocial birds. So they learn really quickly and they feed on their own very very quickly. And so, in the matter of day two, they're already preening themselves like she would. They are. Feeding like she is. Yeah, look like doing little bumblebees. They do. Little fuzz balls. Um, by the end of week one, the poults are actually engaged in dusting activities like a hen would as well. So they're following her around and, you know, cleaning themselves and, and grooming themselves just like she would. Um, and a lot of people kind of have probably seen dusting or pictures or, or seen a hen on the roadside um, flicking up dust on her feathers. Just clean out the mites and clean, her, clean herself up. And poults at one week are, are doing that. Um, week two, poults can fly, and they're flying short distances where they can roost in some shrubs or, or low branches. But to me, that's just mind-boggling. A little, a little tiny egg is cracked open, and then the next day they're learning to feed and do things that mom was doing. And that short amount of time, I guess over time they haven't had a choice because everything wants to eat them, so they better learn quick. <laughs> this is yeah. They better learn real quick. Really, really quick. Um, I just, I'm just sitting here picturing these these little tiny. I mean, you think about all the predators that are trying to eat them when they're not even hatched yet. Now, when they are hatched, they're even, you know, at that point, that's when hawks and owls really avian get predators after them. really exactly get after them. And so it's like, man, I mean, there's no break for them. There is no break at Be, all because until they can fly, the hen is actually on the ground with them at night covering them under her wings so for a two-week period they're on the ground throughout the night you think of how many predators are active during the night time you've got you still have owls at night then you have coyotes foxes raccoons possums skunks that could still get in there dogs even bears yeah and and disrupt that and if if a if a pole is separated from the flock sorry Game over. <laughs> Life is not treating you well. Game over. Yeah. yeah unfortunately. So, they they really don't get any I don't rest. Know why I said that chuckling because that's terrible. But <laughs> you heartless so soul. Yeah. Don't you like turkeys? It's, I mean, it, it, there is they don't stand a chance. And so week let's three. Let's improve. Okay, go on. Week three, they're roosting in lower low trees, and at this time they're actually already having a food diet change. Primarily the first three weeks, they are bugging like crazy. Insects, really high protein, 
And then after they're able to fly, now they're going to start, they're still going to certainly eat insects at every chance they can. Now they're going to start getting into some plant and vegetation forage. Um, basically, I'm, I'm sure their their digestive systems are, are in enzymes and their whatever gizzards and whatever are getting big enough and, and, and functional enough to handle all that. But it's just amazing uh, to me. I, I was just thinking here how many ticks they eat. You know, I'll just bear with me. Okay. When I was growing up, we had had some pet quail for a short period. They didn't last very long, but long enough that we had adult quail and we would pick ticks. Like if we were at the farm, we came back and we had ticks on Mm -hmm. us. We'd go down there and pull ticks off and drop them in the cage. It was amazing to watch how, how quickly it was like, I love steaks. They were loving ticks and I'm sure turkeys and turkey poults are the same way. You know, I've heard the same thing from from people who've got uh, chickens or guineas in the yard. That's honestly a primary reason why they have them because the amount of ticks that they eat, they don't have to worry about their kids getting ticks like they would if the chickens weren't there. Mm-hmm. They might get a couple here and there, but Not they like, feed on yeah. them like crazy. They're, yeah. they're perfect, the perfect size. There you go. Yeah, bite size. Yeah, so, I, I'm just, you know, you hear this and it's like you, these terrible numbers and it's like, oh, man, I'm going to, all right. All right, give me a chainsaw. Let's go make some. We'll get to it. But early secessional habitat. Mm-hmm. Let, let, let's get there. Well, let's dive on in into that because those those life cycle things that they're doing and and what they need, the requirements for habitat that they need to really increase those, basically change those numbers around and and get more turkeys out there. There's stuff that you can do that's relatively easy. Uh, management practices to have great nesting habitat, have great brood rearing habitat to get those turkeys into the fall and successfully reproducing in the years to come. Makes sense. So, uh, you've kind of been taking charge of the notes, well, so I'm just well, sitting back here and trying to add some comments and uh, dive in more, but you've got a pretty good plan going, so I'm just let's let you dive in. Let's talk about old field management. We talked about that in, in other podcasts and what that looks like. Um, for- we've talked about how great that is for Mainly deer, but mm-hmm. um, all all wildlife. Now we're going to talk about how beneficial that is to turkeys. And the reason that it's so beneficial for turkeys is the varying height differences and the canopy that some of these forbs and shrubs and plum thickets provide for these young turkeys. And then what that does, and that, that's basically cover to be able to escape and so when you say hide. different sizes, there's clumpy grass, mm-hmm. there's straight stems of some forbs or or basically broad leaves. There's yep. there's <coughs> excuse me, there's all kinds of different size differences. I'm gonna throw that word out again. Diversity oh, man. in the plant species that gives them cover, but then gives them the ability to move around throughout it. And and not only the diversity of, of moving through it and different I guess structures and you mentioned plum thickets, so you've got woody escape mm-hmm. cover, um, but also that diversity attracts insects. Yes, and I'm sure that's Which is a, a huge. I'm sure I jumped ahead, but no, that's it, fine. it attracts all kinds of different insects. And which is a huge part of the diet for the wild turkey and especially the brood. So yes, uh, just having the insects and not only that, but having that diversity is great for the soil health. And mm-hmm. if you have great soil, you have healthy population of earthworms, which are another part of the diet huge diet. and so just the diversity of the old field of providing cover security but then also food because the diversity attracts different 
in all kinds and a, and a large number of insects, but also earthworms for plenty of food. So you've got all that working for them just by having old field or, or doing old field management, which just might be leaving something fallow. And, and you know, another thing to, to talk about, it kind of resembles an old field. Let's say you've got a food plot that you'd planted in the fall or, or the previous spring, and now you haven't planted it in this spring when the turkeys are born. You've got a lot of additional weeds and stuff in that plot. It's ragweed. It's a great one because you've got a kind of a canopy that grows, mm-hmm. but there's room underneath of that. There's a, pre- a long stalk, two-foot long stalk with no leaves, so the turkeys can move underneath. Two-foot or bigger. Or bigger. And then they've got a canopy, a closed canopy, pretty much above them so that hawks can't really see. But oh, that's pretty... And it also makes a tiny seed. Yeah, and, exactly. And we're getting ready to go into there probably also. But the tiny seed, the canopy, plenty of cover to move around. And the, I think that's one thing a lot of people don't consider whenever there's this fallow, if you will, or they plant a food plot in the fall and the spring rolls around. They're like, I'm just too busy. I'm not going to be able to plant it. And they're like, oh, I want to get out there and clean that up and get it ready for the next fall or whatever. And so they go out there and they bush hog it. Mow it down. Or they spray it. And it's just like, oh, it was so good. Even though it wasn't pretty to you and it wasn't a beautiful green field, it was still providing tons of insects and even forage, seed heads, all kinds of food, cover, everything for wildlife. And now you just went and ruined it. Done. And so, and the the best thing about that that we haven't really even mentioned is generally a, a food pot's smaller openings, quarter to an acre. So what that brood, the hen and her poults have is, okay, they've got open space that's going to attract the, the insects. But then in a couple quick steps, they're probably back in the timber and it's a lot harder to get for the, to them in the timber, um, and there's a lot more places to hide as well. So you've got that working for them as well in those food plot situations that, again, might be looked as uh, unmaintained or messy or, or left alone, unavoided. Like, it's fine. You're, yeah. you're actually doing benefit um, to the wildlife by leaving alone. If you're not going to touch it until the fall and you're going to plant your food pots then, ah, just let her go. Let yeah. her go. Let her go. Let it go to seed head. Absolutely. And you'll take care of it. Take care of it again in the fall, or maybe you can get back to it in the summer. But please don't just plow it under and turn it to dirt <laughs> and let it sit. Oh, that just breaks my heart. You know, think about that fallow field this year. I saw it a lot so far. As you've got all these crop fields, they're trying to get ready to plant, but it's been too wet, and right. so it's just all this forbs and other weeds growing up. And it's like, yeah, it's not too bad. Mm-hmm. The wildlife is actually pretty good. Yep. Uh, but please don't plow it under and just let it sit for months. And so I don't even know where we're at notes. We've, Next, we've already just chased the waterfall there. So <laughs> let's get let's talk about burn units and what that looks like for um, broods and mm-hmm. what that looks like for hens and um, just honestly the entire turkey population. But so as we talked before, we talked about how burning helps, I guess, with the early secessional, which is a huge part of what we just talked about. Is great cover, but it's also great at providing insects and worms and all a huge part of the diet but burning is one of those things and this is kind of one thing that i think is responsible for the lack thereof of turkeys i guess on the family farm this year is mm-hmm. usually we burn it's 280 acres and usually we burn 40 50 acres i don't know even more each year but this year the only burn we Tim- were able timber burns timber burns right we were only able to really burn one section that was mostly 
uh, kind of a was in the process of being converted to an oak savanna, and it's like in mostly open area. So we were burning grasses and getting more forbs and grasses back. Now burning in the timber is is what we lacked because usually with wild turkey we would burn these big wood chunks right before turkey season and it's just like it's a magnet it it really is it's a completely it's an open door policy hey come on down yeah I, and it's like it's completely legal it's in, it's it's almost like legal baiting if you will if you want to call it that i don't like saying that term but it, it's almost like that you burn it and now you've just created this fantastic place for food initially right out of the gate and then it turns around and it doesn't take very long starting to green back up now and it's great strut early zones as well because there's the the timber i mean the short are set back and and everything's short and it's not in the basically on heavy dew mornings they can go into that burn area and they don't have to worry about getting soaked mm-hmm. and so it's just it's it's amazing for the turkeys and what does so, the fire i guess in i'll just i'll just ask you what does yeah. the fire do as far as food wise for the turkeys what it, it does is remove the duff layer, and now you've got all these insects, some alive, a lot alive still, but some of them are dead, and those turkeys, it's Alive and nowhere to hide. Exactly. It's just free game. It's kind of like a buffet line. You just keep going back for more, and there's always food. You just keep going back and back. And you don't get that when you have a really heavy duff layer. And duff know, layer, he means sticks, twigs, leaves. I mean, that's why you see turkeys scratching. They're scratching through. They don't want the leaves and the sticks. They want the bare dirt What's to go under get there? down there. And when you remove all that, you make it easy for them. It's kind of like, you know, you see in neighborhoods, suburban areas, when a white oak tree just rains acorns and it's on freshly manicured lawn, the deer just run to it. They flock to it because... They don't have to pick through the leaves. It, it, they're just—it's a clean slate. It's easy for them to get to. Um, it's easy pickings, and they go back and do the hard stuff. But this is the same way. You clean the slate. You've got food right there, easy access. And then, after you have the sunlight for a week or two, now you have the green, fresh vegetation that's going to pop. And that is forage, but also attracts insects. Yes. So now you got another wave of insects coming back in. Green forage, and then let's say a month after that, <clears throat> now you've got vegetation that's knee high or so. So let's say late May, mid May, you've got broods that are born, hatched, and they've got the cover. But then I think this is often not talked about. You've got a hen that can look and stand up tall above the vegetation, look for danger, and her pulse are undercover the entire time. Yet she's there scanning, feeding, and they're all doing their thing, and they're protected and safe. And they're surviving, and that is key to the wild turkey. Yeah. All, basically everything, but for the turkey, is, is trying to get them past that, that first... That first. Basically, first four or six weeks. The six month, first six months is really tough, but that six-week period, now they're really flying. They're good flyers. They kind of get away. They still have a lot of threats out there. But um, they're, they're doing something when they've made it that far. And all of that benefit through an entire spring in the life of a turkey was, was because of a prescribed fire. That was it. That was it. And, and, that's really, and that was just all the benefit to turkeys, not, not, not everything, everything else. else. We haven't right. even talked about that. That's another podcast if you want to yeah. hear that. So <laughs> l- let's go. Now we've <clears throat> beat that dead horse about burning. Let's talk about logging roads. Okay, go ahead. 
I'm going to talk you about logging talk roads. About logging yeah. roads. You've got cleared land, and sometimes if they're wide enough, what are you going to say? I was almost going to break into that old hillbilly voice you didn't oh, want to hear. Gosh. So go ahead. Logging roads. <laughs> You've got a logging road, and many times they're wider than just a two-track truck. They may have been planted in weeds. We prescribe that quite often and um, on our clients' lands. If, if you've got the space, you've got the sunlight, go ahead and plant it and weed um, or use the weed as a nurse crop and establish clover in those roadways um, because at this time of year when the broods come out, again, this is kind of like that food plot situation we talked about. You've got logging roads with insects, sunlight, green forage, and then you've got cover a couple steps away. And that is a recipe for success for getting those pults to four weeks, six weeks, six months old. That that recipe of quick cover, and it's just because of a logging road that's been maintained appropriately and managed with food that's going to attract the insects, grow the green forage, and provide escape cover for the turkeys. Now imagine... Uh, this, is, this is getting me excited. Okay, ready? That's my hands rubbing together. You've got a logging road, and you've burned on one side, and then the year before, you'd already burned. So you've got a year of growth in one side of the timber, and then this spring, you had just burned and removed all the duff flares. So you've got food, and you've got more food and escape cover right there, all together. You do that in a rotation, you've got turkeys all over your place. And that's just a small example of what you can do and, you know, let's say a 40-acre chunk of timber. You've got the perfect ideal habitat on a rotational basis for getting turkeys to that age that they can survive year after year. Makes sense. Let's go do it. Let's do it. Util- utility Actually, we're going to be doing that a lot. We are. Yeah. Um, and utility lines, you just it, mentioned that. It's, it's basically very similar. Very similar to the logging road. Um, a lot mm. of people have gas lines or a power line. You know, again, you could plant those. You can put some quality um, food plots in, whether it's clover. Or you got the wheat heads for the hen to eat and pick, and um, during the late summer. Um, but you can also maintain those as old field management as well. You've got those larger openings, more sunlight, old field management, and a power line right away. You're not paying to do anything. You're just exposing that native seed bed. And don't underestimate that and the the proximity of good cover to food resources for turkeys, and especially poults, those young turkeys. Now, I don't know how much time we got left. I know we're coming up on the hour, but I've got two things I want to say. Let's hear it. Talk about before we end it. You know, uh, so we, we want to talk about food plots. But this yeah. whole time, I know there's somebody out there going, what are we talking about habitat for? Because... Farmer John has a, he's got a dairy down there, and he's got more turkeys than anybody in the county. I drive by every day. There's, There's turkeys in his pasture scratching day. around in cab patties, and why has he got more turkeys? You guys are talking about okay, so let's let's just Digest dive that. in Unpackage there and say okay, that. how come how come on some places there are dairies? And I'll just say a lot of times because I I dealt with that a lot, and even on my family farm growing up, there was a lot of turkeys, and we didn't do a lot for habitat. Um, but looking back, there was there was great habitat. There was a reason why there was always turkeys there, and I'll kind of let's just start diving in. Now. Dive in. So, why is the dairy in your county or your neighborhood, your your hometown, got a lot of turkeys on it? Sometimes they don't hunt those turkeys. 
Um, that's just a big part of it. A lot of times when I see the a barnyard birds, barnyard birds, <laughs> and they'll say, "Yeah, you can hunt, but don't kill my don't kill my yeah. pets." Yeah. So you can't hunt close to the bar. You can't hunt the barnyard birds. But a lot of times in those dairies, they're feeding grain for their cattle. So the cows are going out in the pasture and they're they're uh, passing that corn. And now cow turkeys know that and they're coming out scratching around cow patties eating corn. That's the kernels. It, it's yeah. legal baiting is what it is. Mm-hmm. And so that's one reason why you always see them close to dairies is there's usually grain involved. There's also a lot of insects because of the amounts of manure. So there's plenty of bugs out there to to eat. But then there's but there's you look at it and you're like, well, it's lip high fescue. Why, what, well, they're coming out there to eat, but they're not making their living out there. They're just eating out there. Yeah. And that's but a good strut zone, too. Very good strut zone. And that's year-round. Well, I mean, it's, it's always short. It's, it's always, always short. short. Right. And, you know, and, and so then you look, okay, well, a lot of times those – it's certainly true for around my my hometown and the dairies that I'm talking about is they fenced off the woods. So the woods were thick, overgrown and a lot of times they would burn them or they would accidentally burn them and it would be early secession. But it was great cover. So you had great cover, then leading into an area that had great food. And consistent food source. Consistent food source. A lot of dairy cows. And there was no, I mean, you could walk right out, out of the barn and they'd be 50 yards from you looking mm-hmm. at you. There was no, like, this. Threat. there was no threat there. So it was just like, well, that's what they do. They, they can be borderline pet. Mm-hmm. So that's why. There. I hopefully answered that yeah. correctly. And for my family farm, we didn't have – it wasn't like we were feeding grain for the to the cows because we were beef cattle. But now we're like, okay, how how come there's so many turkeys? Well, our, so talking about the farm shaped like Texas, the points, the panhandles, the, the southern end, they were fenced off food plots. And we always burned them. Every other year they'd be burned. So there was this very high-quality early secession – then you step across the fence, and it was slicked off pasture that still had cows in it. Lots of manure, still high in high in, insect amount, insect amounts. Woo! Finally got through it, and so there was still this great. Okay, we're gonna nest or we're gonna roost right here in the edge around the food plot. There's gonna be great insects and bugging near the food plot. There's probably something going to seed in the food plot, but then we'll go out in the short pasture and spread around for the day. That's why it was ideal. Now, for we're talking about all the habitat. My question to you, we're planting food plots for deer a lot. That's what a lot of people are talking mm-hmm. about. What can we plant for turkeys? Where do you begin, um, one? But two, I immediately think, okay, what's going to give turkeys cover and a seed head and attract insects? And for me, of course, you know that's three different goals that I want to have in a food plot achieve. And to me... What I like to see is a grain for late season, but I like to see a millet or a sorghum sedan, um, something similar that's going to have a milo that's got a great structure at the base. And this is in the grass family, so it grows that stalk kind of like corn, but then leaves out, has a nice canopy, and then as it matures, it's going to produce a seed head, and that's got thousands of seeds on it. That's going to eventually drop back down um, access for the turkeys. Or I've even seen turkeys and it's even t- yeah, reach up and pick it. It's not tall enough it's, that they exactly. can't reach it. Exactly. Um, now, now a sedan grass. Sedan grass gets way on up there. Unless they're a giraffe. Yeah. They can't They're, they're reach actually going to pick it as they're flying down from the roost. Yeah. <laughs> We're and talking sedan grass gets, we've seen it 14 It was 14, feet. 15 foot tall last year. Yeah. But 
so you've mentioned those things, and I go, ooh, that's what we plant. Mm-hmm. And that's why we... That's why we like planting the diverse species because there's something usually for all the game species and even the insects and the, and the songbirds and whatever else is in the area. There's there's so much to choose from. Whether they may not actually eat the grain, they may not actually eat the forage, but there may be an insect that's coming in there because mm-hmm. of that forage, and they're eating that. Well, you just, you think about okay, you've got a new food plot and it's soybeans or, or um, corn. You've seen it those those holes, those aphids. Or biting through those leaves in the in the corn, you're like, well, what the heck? That's turkey food. Yeah, they're they're gonna come there and feed and prey on those insects that are that are coming there. And I think I didn't mention earlier, but I think having established clover plots is also a really really good technique for food plots if, if you're looking to have turkeys. Establish perennial clover food plots with a cover There's crop, providing crop forage of and of even wheat. if you do. As we've encouraged every single year when you plant clover to help fight to help fight weeds is to plant wheat in it every single fall. Yep. Not not just the year you establish, but that, every year. That nitrogen that, that and clover so you in. should have standing grain, but then you also have standing grain as far as the wheat seed head, and then you also have forage for the clover, but then you also have a lot of insects. Yes. And that's one thing. Um, alfalfa is fantastic oh, for whoa. providing. There's all kinds of insects that like alfalfa, and that's why. <laughs> I think of well, first turkey killed this year. Yeah, my brother and I, we doubled up. Right, they in were alfalfa. in an alfalfa. And you think of like, okay, when alfalfa starts to bloom, how many pollinators stuff are in there and insects that are buzzing, mm. and uh, it's it's incredible. And same thing with clover. When when that white clover heads out, or crimson a, clover, yeah, crimson clover. That, there's a buzz in there, and that's that's insects. That's turkey food. Um, so those combinations of, of so let's you, know. you can plant food plots with. Grain with small grain, d- diverse species, different canopies. Um, basically, rule of thumb: uh, if if you're wondering what's good to plant, probably a diverse mix. Mm-hmm. And um, so we've talked about food plot. We talked about burning. We've talked about. Um, I think one thing is op- smaller open areas with cover close by. Don't don't underestimate that. That's kind all. of the same thing as you know talk about deer being creatures of the edge. It's very mm-hmm. similar for at for that, turkeys as well. That and even quail. Of, of talk about yeah. using using uh, woody structure as a skate cover or blackberry patches. Mm-hmm. Um, this woody that woody type habitat that they can escape in shrubby stuff. Yes, yep. hawthorns. Yep. Yeah. So. Plum Talk about all that, and I, and I hope that motivates everybody or gives everybody an understanding of, of really kind of what things they can do to ensure there's healthy turkey population. If you enjoy a turkey season Remove this predators. Year, yeah. If you enjoyed turkey season this year and want to see more, this is what you need to do to encourage that, stimulate it, or increase the turkey numbers in your area. And honestly, those management, you got a chainsaw, you got prescribed fire, and some food plots. Everyone can do that. And, and the great thing about about those species that you talked about for turkeys is they're pretty pretty Cheapo. cheap. And if, since Don't we're talking about bank. since we're talking about turkeys and turkey food plots, and NWTF, mm-hmm. there's actually the Habitat Seed Program. Habitat Seed Program from National Wild Turkey Federation that provides. Uh, I mean, the one we got, the one we looked at, they had corn, they had soybeans, and those were Roundup Ready corn and soybeans, and yes. they also had. I mean, the corn came in a decal 
bag. Yeah, oh, yeah. And they also have Milo, and I, I'm sure they have others in certain areas, but in our area, that's the three they had, and it was, I mean, for turkeys, that's very, amazing. Well, and very, very reasonably priced. Very, uh, might as well be giving it away. It's that cheap. Yeah. So. Uh. We're so encouraging everybody plan, right now yeah, to go we sign up, that. become an NWTF member, and find a local chapter and uh, find out how you can become, I, I guess, get some of that seed, too, for your turkeys. Yep. So I think that pretty well, we're over an hour, and that wraps it up for this week. Uh, hopefully, you guys have all learned something and, and have been motivated to improve habitat at your place. Matt, you got any final thoughts, final words? Uh, let's just, you want to say goodbye? I want to say goodbye. Okay. Well, I, I do want to say um, when we post this podcast on our Facebook page, if you want to see, you know, a turkey poll or kind of understand what it looks like at a very, very young age, we're talking less than a week. Um, I, I was fortunate enough in my time working, um, back in Virginia at Quantico Marine Corps base. Um, we did a lot of work with fawns and poults. Um, there's a picture up there. I've got one holding in my hands. Um, but you'll be able to see just how tiny and delicate these little walking around bumblebee furball things are they're really cute but um check it out and uh we'll be posting that here uh in the next day or so okay we'll see you all next week all righty see y'all thanks for listening to another episode of land and legacies hunting and habitat management podcast if you want to see more check us out at landlegacy.tv or follow us on instagram and facebook Take pride in knowing that God has called us in Genesis 2-4 to work and take care of the land. So keeping that in mind, remember to do it all for the love of the land and the glory to God. Yeah.